0: Not far from the wide Atlantic Weird cabin where this podcast is recorded, there's a break in the woods where the trees are interrupted by a railway track. At night, this can be a calming place to sit, watching the blackness of the night pierced by the lights of an approaching train, the silence of the evening filled by the rumbling of freight carriages. Well, on a recent late summer evening, the sky filled with stars, I took myself down to this very spot to have a phone call with my sometime co-host, Mr Chris Spooky Joyce. It was the perfect night to pick up our conversation on UFO culture and the development of that dominant ufological motif, the alien grey. White Atlantic Weird is the podcast that asks the question, why do people believe weird things? And some years ago, Chris and myself attempted to get to the bottom of the UFO mystery. Now we're diving back into the murky, proby world of greys and alien abductions. The invention of the grey is a long and winding tale we couldn't possibly hope to cover every case that contributed to this evolution. It is my hope that we provided at least an overview of some of the important sources that have led to this popular idea. Now, I had reams of notes of things I wanted to talk about that we never got around to. For example, I had quite a lot prepared to talk about H.G. Wells and the popular 19th century notion of the big-brained future men, which I believe fed into the grey culture later on. I also feel that I might have given short shrift to the researcher Martin Kottmeyer, who... Though I do find his conclusions regarding the 1961 Hill case a little glib, he was responsible for the incredible four-part essay, strangely titled Varicose Brains, which remains probably the most in-depth examination of the origins of the Greys ever undertaken. It's full of re-examined, forgotten cases, all of which I read and uh, uh, checked out, but unfortunately none of which actually made it into this conversation. Still, I do hope you find the interview instructional. As the sun dropped and the stars winked, and the hoot of far-off freight trains filled the night, I fancy our tales of strange creatures from Zeta Reticuli managed to scare me, at least just a little bit. You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. This episode, The Coming of the Greys, An Interrupted Journey. Mr. Chris Spooky Joyce, or should that be Agent Spooky Joyce, uh, a mysterious man who dresses in black and appears at your door uh, at night time to ask if you've seen anything or if you know anything about flying saucers. Perhaps uh, with the intimation that you should say that in fact that you don't know anything about flying saucers and that if you did, you were about to forget it very quickly
1: is this a secure line ken
0: this is a secure line mr Joyce. Uh, no government or other nefarious organizations can possibly be listening into our conversation about the coming of the grays but uh, i
1: thought you said you were going to be putting this up on the internet for uh, folks to be listening to
0: well only only on the dark web chris <laughs> the dark web
1: <laughs> it's great to be uh, invited back once again to discuss the, uh, the grey skies and what they hold.
0: You're my number one man for, for spooky topics, I'll put it that way. Are, are you still making your way through an X-Files marathon?
1: Yes, so uh, the latest update is I invested in a, a, a computer, so uh, a little laptop here. Um, unfortunately, the, the latest you know, woe in my, my tale of trying to watch all the X-Files is that my computer doesn't actually have a, a CD drive, so um, I, I basically managed to find a box set of the X-Files, finally, after all my problems with streaming and uh, things like that, and uh, now I bought a computer and it doesn't even have a DVD drive, so how about that?
0: Thanks, so, Steve, Steve Jobs. <laughs>
1: yeah. So um, I, I, I managed to watch another few episodes, but I'm uh, not quite there yet.
0: um, Your X-Files marathon has been going on at least since that UFO episode we did, like, two years ago.
1: It's almost as long as the X-Files themselves. (laughs)
0: It's
1: a pretty long series.
0: (laughs) So this is kind of like part two of of Coming of of the Greys, being that I uh, recently put out uh, an old episode that I dug up from 2017, I think, and we were talking about UFOs and some of the origin, some of the kind of important cases that helped to kind of kick UFO culture into the shape that it's in now. So if you're a listener, that was just a couple of episodes ago, but to us that was uh two or three years ago. So <laughs> we we it's might have awful. to we might have to cover some of the bases again. I don't know.
1: It's it's almost like last time. Not
0: quite. Almost like missing time, almost like an interrupted journey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but before we do get started, Kim, like we, we do have a bit of a tradition on, on your show. Uh, we, we tend to have a, a, a beer or a drink or something in, in, in relation to what we're talking about. Um, now, I, I think you're driving tonight, so I'm not sure you're drinking anything. But um, for this evening, I was thinking of going for some Earl Grey tea.
0: Because of the Star Trek connection?
1: Uh, no, no because, because of the grey.
0: Oh, I, I overshot that. I'm embarrassed now. I also thought
1: about going for some grey goose.
0: Oh, good choice, good choice.
1: It's rather expensive uh, for a salary like mine. Um, and then I decided on a fairly uninspiring miller. Um, that was until... Slightly before we started recording, I went on a panicky search for uh, anything related to Miller and aliens, uh, and guess what I found? <laughs> it's a bit of a gem. I urge you all to look up uh, on YouTube the, the Miller Beer uh, aliens advert from 1992. It's. Uh, have you seen it? Probably not.
0: I don't think so. No, tell me about it. Uh, well, it's it's quite short, but I, I mean, it's it's lots of uh,
1: kind of pokey special effects of these Miller beer cans being, uh, I suppose, beamed up past these cornfields and there's this really stupid song playing. But uh, anyway, the the, uh, the beer cans get taken into this cornfield where there's a load of uh, luminescent uh, gray-like aliens dancing in the field while drinking uh, all these Miller cans. <laughs> and then uh, possibly about five seconds before uh, the end of, of the advert, it kind of cuts to um, a, a, almost like a you know cops uh, that,
0: that sort of style live reporting um, kind of style so a very 90s reference. Uh, absolutely and uh, they, there's some, some reporter
1: outside the cornfield and they, they go up in a helicopter and
0: uh, oh, oh do, do they see crop circles?
1: they see crops sir in the shape
0: of a bottle of Miller
1: in the shape of a Miller logo oh and no you can guess what the closing is, the closing line of that advert is oh pro-
0: prob- uh, probably the most abducted Sorry. beer in the <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> you know
1: so there is intelligent life on earth <laughs> oh that's
0: terrible oh that's so bad Chris <laughs> I have no memory of that I have no memory of that
1: it's been white Um The, the I, important I, date there. The, the man
0: in it, black must have got to me, Chris, because I have no uh, memory of it. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I think the important date in that uh, advert as well, Keane, is 1992, and not not specifically 92, but the early 90s, because uh, isn't that when uh, a, a lot of the pop culture references started to uh, gain a bit a tra- uh, bit of traction? But uh, well, we'll talk about that. Later on in the we will
0: and in, in, that's a little before the start of the X Files and you know you know so that's a little earlier than like peak grey alien shall we say
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah uh, this, uh, no I, I must say that they weren't actually grey they were uh, luminescent uh, bioluminescent perhaps uh, in a blue color so I'm not sure if that's uh, acceptable
0: I'm sure we're part. we're accepting of greys of all colors they don't. Just have to be grey. Good, Good, man. Okay, uh, Chris, were you, like, aware of greys as a kid? Were you? Did you think they were scary? Because I know, so I've got some friends for whom greys were, like, the thing, the main thing they were scared of as kids. Really?
1: Well, uh, I, I suppose not particularly. Um, like, the, the main places I would have seen them would, be would have been while my sister was watching X Files, and I might have seen a thing, you know, pop up from somewhere, and you know, in my head it was just like, oh, that's an alien. Aliens are associated with the cartoons that I watch on a, you know, Saturday morning or whatever. So,
0: um, not not particularly scary for me. Okay. I guess maybe a, a bit later
1: on when. It, you know when i saw trailers for things like signs
0: and oh i love signs signs is great yeah
1: that oh. gave me a bit of a, a, a
0: bit of a chill that scene with the cornfield is great isn't it absolutely That's where, where the creature's leg you just catch it like disappearing into the corn that's so good oh yeah like there's some there's some mad stuff in that film i mean it's a shyamalan film there's there's weird stuff in it but there's there's absolutely fantastic like it, it really gets the when it wants to be scary it's really scary When it wants to be funny it's really funny And when it's some, some of it is going for that kind of Spielberg-esque Kind of sense of wonder science fiction You know the scene where they're like On top of the car with the baby monitor Up towards the sky There's some great moments in it uh, I, I, I That's Until the end when it gets a bit off the rails I think that's a classic Kind of scary alien movie
1: Done well, absolutely
0: Yeah, so for me, I, unfortunately, I read a lot of the UFO literature even as a kid. So, like, I knew that greys weren't just, oh, that's just what cartoon aliens look like. I knew that it did come from this tradition, this this kind of culture of the abduction and all that. So I knew that there were stories of it that were a bit more sinister than that, a bit scarier. And, like, abduction stories are really creepy. They're really horrible. They're, you know... There's been different ways in which UFO culture has has thought of aliens over the years. You know, there were there's like there's a lot of very friendly forms. There's the the Space Brothers and the the Contactee movement of the 50s, where the aliens were very often human-like and they were here to save us, you know, from ourselves. But the grey aliens are always associated with this uh, very kind of 80s 90s, much more sinister version of the paranormal and a much more distrustful one of you know, the government and the idea that, you know, the people supposed to be looking out for us are not, and not only that, but they're in league with these horrible greys and they're going to do bad things to us deliberately, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Another thing that just came to mind, actually, um, speaking of aliens in, in kind of pop culture that, that I saw when I was younger, around the early 90s, I, I, I do remember a lot of people wearing can't remember the exact brand, but it was associated with kind of rave and dance culture and techno music there was a, a specific brand of, of clothing.
0: Oh, with a cartoon grey like who smokes weed and stuff is it?
1: Um, well, I don't remember them smoking weed or anything like that, but it was definitely a cartoon grey, and once I saw those on, on kind of like bright red jumpers <laughs> That people would wear to these discos and things like that. Um, yeah, I guess
0: uh, it kind of made the whole thing a, a little bit threatless. <laughs> well, in any of your reading, did you ever see them referred to as zeta reticulans? Have you come across that? I have it written down here. Do you I'm know where that back? comes from? It's 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 a it's so ridiculous.
1: Um. The the only time I've heard of it before now is uh, there's there's a Muse song called uh, uh, When the Deltas Fill the Skies.
0: <laughs> they uh, use a lot of science fiction imagery, don't they, in their in their stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're big into it. But uh, uh, that's the last time I mentioned Muse on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we shall have I'll yeah. we'll have some kind of sound effect that plays any time you mention them. <laughs> Ding. Yeah, like some kind of Alan Partridge radio host, shitty <laughs> sound effect. All right.
1: Zeta Reticulans.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get to that. So, I'm going to cover a little bit of ground that we did in the previous uh, UFO episode about the the one of. I mean, there there's a the numerous cases, and um, that lead to the idea of greys becoming like the most common uh, depiction of of aliens, right? And most of it doesn't come from what I would call pop culture, most of it does come from um ufology, you know, stuff that is supposedly real, you know, rather than coming from things that are clearly and obviously fictional. But if you want, depending on how far back you want to go, you've, you've got the, some people draw a lot of lines between ufology and older forms of folklore, like tales of little people and fairies and goblins and demons and stuff, you know, who are very often little men. And I looked up the history of the term little green men, and there, I found some interesting articles talking about how it's really difficult to put a, a year on it, uh, you know, when this, when this term first appeared, because you can go right back to the 1800s and earlier when little green men were used in a folkloric context, you know, as, as a kind of supernatural elf or, or dwarf-like beings, you know. Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, almost like gremlins. And then at some point in the 1920s and 30s, it starts showing up in science fiction um, with an with an alien or a, or a you know a spaceship context, and then if you think about so we you know I've talked several times about the the, the key first sighting in the history of ufology is the Kenneth Arnold nineteen forty seven sighting, and in, in in June of nineteen forty seven, and very shortly afterwards, um, there there's a flap what we call a flap which is a mass of sightings first in the Pacific Northwest where his sighting was, and then across America and eventually across the world, and one of the things you have to notice about the the flying saucers as they were described originally is they weren't that big you know they're you're talking i mean estimates vary but they're not huge you're not they're not independence day type craft you know the the size of of a of a of a car or a small airplane you know in, in general in these early cases so when the stories start to mutate and and you get the first crashed saucer stories before 1947 is through I mean, no wonder they're talking about small men. You've got this crossover between older folkloric stories and the fact that the sh- the craft themselves just aren't that big.
1: Even some of the um, I guess the the kind of the, the the mid-century illustrations I'm looking at, uh I mean, I have one up here. It's it's uh, it's actually on a Wikipedia page. It's um in Drink We Deep, uh, Arthur Lee, Leo Zagat, nineteen fifty-one, um, and
0: oh, that's that's a that's a pulp magazine. Well, it's, article, a, it's, isn't it?
1: it's a cover of Fantastic. No-
0: oh, novels. yeah, Drink We Deep, Yeah Yeah, and they're they're like little. I've seen that picture. They're almost like little bald goblin type things, aren't they?
1: They remind me of like fairies that and, and goblins exactly. That would have been you know, depicted in possibly some of our school books and things like that, you
0: know. And of course, not long after that, you've got the 1955 um, Kelly Hopkinsville goblin encounter, which is another famous one um, from Kentucky, uh, where this this family living in a remote farmhouse is supposedly put under siege by these little creatures that are described, like, literally as being like goblins. They're tiny little dudes with big bald heads. They're not greys. As such, they have they're silvery and shiny, you know, and they have big pointy ears. So they're they're more like yeah, folkloric goblin creatures, but again, yeah. you know, it feeds into the the eventual evolution of the grays for sure. This this idea by 1955, that they
1: almost remind me of um, French bulldogs, just the way we, in, in the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, the, the way they have the the eyes on the side of their head and the yeah
0: beard. yeah. I was I, I I was really scared about that one when I was a kid. I I thought that was incredibly creepy. The worst part, yeah, the worst part is when, uh, so so they're they're up all night with these creatures like poking their heads in the windows and stuff, and they're shooting at them with shotguns, and eventually they, according to the story, they eventually um get the courage to all bundle run out of the house and, uh, and make a run for the for the truck, you know, and like one of their hands come one of the creatures' hands comes down from the the ceiling and brushes this guy's head as he runs past them. And they they go into the nearest little town and they get the police to come. the police come down and check it out, and they don't see they see evidence that there's been shooting and stuff, but they don't see anything else. so um, after the police leave it's it's you now it's you know like one in the morning or two in the morning, and then the creatures come back, and it just oh, oh. lost <laughs> so reading those books as a kid, you know, on a dark night that really did it for me.
1: Yeah, it, is, it sounds like that encounter really served as a kind of a basis for um, a, a lot of kind of modern uh, siege stories. Like like what instantly springs to mind there is um, via like a zombie vampire movie or something. No, no, oh, it's a vampire it's vampire Dust movie. Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn, there
0: you go. That's a good film. So um, it, there's no getting around the, the most Seminal kind of important case in the evolution of the grey is the 1961 Hill encounter. Uh, We'll cover a little bit of that. I know we did it in the last episode, but just a reminder for you listening, that was a couple of episodes ago for us, that was three years ago or whatever. Um, So you've got a case that doesn't start out with greys, but eventually sort of evolves into them, Uh, and you have you have this couple uh, who are the are the Hills, and they're from a town in New Hampshire and they have an encounter when they're driving back on US Route 3, uh, having been in Montreal, I believe, and uh, I I remember you becoming excited because you you were familiar with this route. You had driven it before. I
1: did, yes. Uh, Oh, it must be four or five years ago at this stage, but um, I can't remember a whole lot about it, but uh, I remember we did stop there in the dead of night. Uh, Had I known that that was the route where the Incident.
0: <laughs> you might have paid a bit more attention to the, to the sky. So what happens is they're driving, and it's it's they've been driving all all morning and all day, and and it, by the time it gets dark, they had they have a sighting. So they they see this is 1961. So they see a flying saucer of some kind. They have binoculars with them. They stop the car, and the the the, the husband Barney gets out and looks through the binoculars, and the the craft seems to be either following them or pacing them and gets close enough that he sees, with the binoculars, that there were people inside it. And they looked like humans, as far as he can tell, that wearing uniforms. Now, in the early days of UFO sightings, it, you know, before the kind of extraterrestrial hypothesis became all-encompassing, some of the early encounters, their presumptions were, well, obviously these weird new flying things are some kind of military project, you know, so that wasn't too unusual. I mean, that's a a late case of it, but I mean, think this is like six years after Kelly Hopkinsville, so, uh, you know, and and science fiction movies at this time are absolutely full of flying saucers and monsters and aliens and stuff. But it it wasn't that weird to imagine that maybe it was just a government thing. So anyway, for whatever reason, he sees the occupants as human wearing some kind of uniform. And there's all these mad details, Chris, where like, Stuff that would have seemed futuristic in in 1961, which is just kind of quaint now. So, like, he sees one of the guys pulling a lever, and it pulls out a set of wings on either side of the of the craft, and they they like come out like mechanically, and they have lights on the end. In...
1: <laughs> Victorian, when you said wings, but I, I presume you you mean kind of uh,
0: like like a jet plane wing. I'd I'd imagine jet, jet plane wings, yeah. So the craft is kind of pancake-shaped with these weird wings on the either side, which is a, a, a thing that hasn't been reported much before or since. It's a little bit unique. And so they have a pretty solid UFO encounter. Heineck, uh famously would have called it a close encounter of the... I suppose of the third kind, because the occupants of the craft are seen. So that's pretty, pretty, pretty important. And they, they come back home uh, and some strange things start to happen. They have these weird feelings like they've been contaminated and they find themselves showering compulsively and they think they have um, weird, inexplicable marks on their clothing and on their car. And they start doing weird things like taking a magnet to the car to see if it behaves strangely. And one thing that has to be kept in mind is that the wife, Betty, her sister, has had a UFO or a flying saucer sighting a couple of years before this. So they're they're not... completely unaware of this phenomenon. Do you know what I mean? They have some frame of reference for it.
1: Okay, so I'm, like I'm going to talk a little bit about accidental awareness. I'm not sure if that something you want to discuss in this. But uh, there's a little bit to do with Barney Hill. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I, I guess we'll take out that ass sentence anyway. But, um... What one of the theories, you Keen? Know, I was kind of reading about as to to why we why why there's such a, a large level of of aliens who are described as greys is something called accidental awareness. Now, have you heard about this uh, phenomenon? No, phenomenon?
0: no, no. I don't. This is new for me.
1: It's new. So basically, when when you when somebody goes for surgery, right? Okay. Sometimes people can wake up or or be aware during surgery. Okay. Oh, that's
0: that's one of my all-time top fears. Really? Okay. Well, have I got a story for you? uh,
1: So, like, I I was reading, and apparently, Bernie Hill um, did go for a colonoscopy a few years beforehand.
0: Oh, because he got another colonoscopy when he was on the ship.
1: <laughs> and he, I, I'm not sure, did it say that he woke up during it, but if he was at all aware and he suppressed the the feeling of waking up in the surgery. Now, the colonoscopy, as I'll just talk about in a minute, isn't necessarily a surgery. It's its like they, they put a <laughs> Camera up your butt, around. <laughs> and the um, story, Keen, actually is: I myself went for a colonoscopy when I was maybe fifteen or sixteen, and wouldn't you believe, I actually did wake up. Oh, while no. I know. Operating table. Yeah. So, um, you no. Know, one, like, I, I can comment from experience because I can sort of recall what I saw and what I felt and the the noises and things Um, like it was an awful experience so they they kind of put you up on a a surgery table I don't know what it's called, not surgery table you know, bed or whatever now the problem I'm seeing is that if if this is what happened to Barney and he's just uh, regressing back into his subconscious and just recalling you know, the doctor's hovering over him with, you know, their, their mouths covered and things like that. And um, that's what people say, that he'll remember that uh, awakement in, in the surgery and he'll think it's aliens years later, right? And when it happened to me, when I woke up during that procedure, uh, you're, you're not looking straight up. You're actually on, on your side with your kind of knees bent, and they kind of, you know, put the camera in from behind uh, to have a look around and uh, take whatever they need to take. So you're not really looking up, but I, I, I do remember struggling a lot. It was awfully painful, very distressing, and um, I, I guess I did look up and I saw people looking down at me with their.
0: Mouths covered with those, you know, what, what do you call those things that doctors wear over their mouths? That's just a surgical mask, I think. A surgical mask. There you
1: go. So I guess it's not within the the realms of impossibility that it's it's not um not accidental awareness, but um, who knows? But uh, I've read in uh, a lot of reports as well that no, nobody really reports feeling the breath of the alien. Even though they they they're quite close up to them, mm-hmm. you no, know, I I think if you're going to go down the accidental awareness route, I mean that could very likely be the doctor's mask covering their breath, you know, and um, and that's why you might not see any uh or see any reports of, of, of feeling an alien's breath, but um so yeah yeah yes I've kind of. Remembered that incident, and it's it, it it's not a very nice uh, experience. And I, I guess you could probably recall it a few years uh, later.
0: Yeah, were you you were fully aware at the time?
1: Uh, well, they put me under, and then I woke up during the procedure, and I I remember screaming a whole pile like. Really awful screaming Like, I was almost embarrassed walking out of the hospital. I was screaming so much, you know? Mm. And, uh.
0: Well, I hope the anesthetist was embarrassed too, because he's the one who screwed up.
1: Yeah, they, well, they, they, it wasn't long before they put me back under. Um, and, uh, then I just woke up in bed with a cup of tea and water came in and all the rest. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I don't know, um, the other time I was brought to hospital, I had a, a little bit too much to drink at a at a festival, and I was completely blacked out off the scale, you know. And I do remember being wheeled down the corridor in a stretcher, looking up at, um, looking up at the doctors and things, talking to me and. Um, I mean, I remember those clear as day. They're like, there's no way that in a few years I'm going to think back on those and be like, oh man, I got abducted that night or whatever, you know. Um, but who knows? Who uh, knows what what could happen?
0: I think what's relevant here is is how these things feed into not not repression. Repressed memories is a bit of a it, it's not really taken seriously as a thing anymore, you know. Uh, the idea the idea that you know we we are so traumatised that we cut something off in our memory and we turn it into something else, that seems not to be taken seriously. Not since the satanic panic thing in the 1980s when they, a lot of bullshit, and dangerous bullshit, was uh, was done off the back of that idea. But I, I am interested in how these things come into your dreams, for example. Uh, you know, and, and how, how feelings or emotions that you're not aware of on the surface will come out in other ways, for example, in dreams. And that's kind of where where the Hill story goes next because on the face of it, right consciously what they recalled was having in itself what was a pretty interesting, uh, you know, sighting. But nothing more than that. And, and shortly afterwards, um, the wife, Betty, starts having dreams and they, they, they expand on the story. So the dreams involve being captured by these little men. Um, who are wearing uniforms, but are basically human. They 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 have um, helmets and uniforms and stuff. And she's brought onto the ship, and there's a medical procedure done to her. And and this dream, these dreams are recurring, and she's she comes to believe that this is something that actually happened. And they they have made a report to. They made a report to somebody from the air force a couple of days after their sighting, but they, they didn't go too far with it. You know, they withheld some of the details because they didn't want it to sound too ludicrous. So that report exists, but it just says that they saw, they saw, you know, a, a strange light and, and, and it doesn't get into, it doesn't say how Barney thought he saw men on board the ship and stuff. Uh, so, so, but after the dreams, they, they have an interview with this, somebody from NICAP, which is a civilian... Kind of a UFO reporting organization, you know. They're just amateurs. They're just a bunch of interested people. So their their level of you know how good they are at their job depends wildly on who you get. I guess I'm not I'm not out to put any disrepute on them. Just saying that they're they're amateurs. You know, and eventually they go down the route, unfortunately, of um, r- hypnosis and regression therapy, which also, we now know, is not really a thing. Like, if you, if you have a problem, some kind of psychological problem, or you have a trauma from, from years ago, um, we no longer believe, it doesn't seem likely at least, that going and getting hypnosis is like some kind of magical, like, like you're accessing like a magical tape recording of your memory. You're not, you're not getting like a perfect recall of something that happened before.
1: Yeah, maybe this is a story for another day, but um, I'm, I'm currently on my own minding a house out in the, the countryside, there's a lot of cows around, so it might be a lower but <laughs> <laughs>
0: It could be a bit of a, a mutilation going on <laughs>
1: so, uh, I, I mean, maybe, I'll, I'll probably talk about it some other time, but I actually gave the those uh, regression and hypnosis um,
0: tapes a go this week Oh, they're creepy, aren't they? Yeah, no, like,
1: like I'm in the house on my own and I put a blindfold on and had my headphones on. So I um, can't say I remembered anything that I didn't really know anyway. Um, it was I guess it was sort of relaxing, but a little bit unnerving at the same time. Um,
0: oh, I misunderstood. You're talking about like you, you you just, were you listening to a tape of someone trying to put you under? Yes, yes Oh, I thought you meant you listened to the actual Hills recording Those are terrifying
1: No, I haven't actually wow. no, You're going to creeps because I'm here on
0: my own Don't put those on um, <laughs> like, like, like I said, we no longer believe that hypnosis regression Is like a way of getting access to like Actual real, what, what really happened type memories But like the emotion it can be real, you know Like they, they are being taken through It's like It's like a dream, you know they're living through a kind of a dream while this guy is taking them under hypnosis. And, the, like, the, the, the fear and the terror is absolutely real, you know? And that's, again, what I said at the beginning, like, Grays and the whole abduction phenomena is such a dark, spooky thing. It's such a personal thing. It's like you, usually on your own, or if you're with someone else, you're separated, and then you're just taken away by these horrible creatures and they do funny things to you. You know what I mean? It's a very, it's a very personal fear. Absolutely. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm having a bit of a flashback here, Kane. What's happening? <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm starting to, to, to think of the doctors coming for me to put a camera up my ass.
0: Pretty nasty stuff. <laughs> Any, so, um, what happens then is that they, reg- they have the regression therapy, and there's some weird points about this. the The two of them are obviously. Uh, the regression is done separately. Uh, it's done by a guy called, I believe, ben, Dr. Benjamin Simon. Uh, I hope I've got that right. And he comes to believe that it's a kind of a shared delusion. He doesn't think that he's getting, you know, evidence of something that really happened. But the fact is, their stories mirror one another's, uh, despite the fact that they're different in several ways from the dreams that came before. So it seems, it the sceptic take is that she was. She became obsessed with this, and there's evidence to to, to show this that, that she was, and she was talking about her dreams and kind of fabricating, building them up into this more coherent story. And it took her about six months to get him on board, before because he was much more more reluctant to say, well, these dreams and and this hypnosis might imply that this was a real thing that really happened. But by by about early 1962, he was on board with this finally and they start again I think a valid question is well if this is a kind of delusion where is this imagery coming from and that gets us back on track to where the greys came from and how the greys came out of a a soup of influences you know both fictional and and non-fictional pop culture and paranormal so the story changes multiple times over the course of months of regression therapy and and Barney says all kinds of weird things like these. they were like German officers, you know, in these black suits and helmets. And he had fought in the Second World War, though it's not known whether he ever actually met any Germans when he was doing it. But he even at one point mentions that there was an Irish guy on the ship. And this seems to be coming out of a sort of a fear he had, you know, living in, in 1960s suburban America that the Irish didn't like black people, you know, which I'm sure might have been the case in some places and sometimes in, 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 in history. So, you know, his, his hypnosis story is quite dreamlike. You know, it reflects a a, mash, a mishmash of different fears and, and concerns and, and um, anxieties, shall we say. I see. And, and Is it clear that the, the
1: people that he first described as being on the ship were not the same people that appeared in her dream?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you wanted to, you could say, well, what if there were all different kinds of beings on the ship? I see. But the, the significant thing happens then in February um, of 1960, I think it's 1963, This is future editing, Cian. The date I'm trying to think of here is actually February 1964. When his story takes a turn and he starts describing the creatures more deliberately and making them sound less human. And he says things like, he emphasises the eyes. He says they have big, huge eyes that go all the way around the sides of their head. And that the eyes speak to him like as if they have some kind of telepathy, you know? And he's beginning to make the creature sound less human. Now, they're still humanoid, and they're still wearing uniforms and all this sort of So they're not like classic greys, not yet. Um, and a lot of sceptics like to point out to things that happened in pop culture just before this. So one movie they point to is the 1953 Invaders from Mars, which is a really low-budget um, American sci-fi, but it's, it's got a lot of kind of weird, creepy, expressionist um imagery in in its set design and stuff so even though it was a very cheap film um it's quite creepy and quite powerful it's all about this boy who sees that his town is being invaded by creatures from outer space and they're putting these little uh, creep, they're putting these little animals on people's neck to control them you know so it's it's very much and then suddenly he's surrounded by um all these slaves of the aliens you know who are being manipulated and nobody believes him and it's all very it's all very body snatchers, you know, kind of that fifties red scare kind of thing. Yeah, but people say, well, there's a scene in that where a woman, you know, a woman undergoes surgery inside the, the alien spaceship, um, and they, they poke her with this big, huge needle in the back of her neck to inject the the, the creature that will take over her mind. And I mean, I've watched this film, and it, very, very generally, yes, you know, it's a film about a woman getting surgery on board a ship. So, I mean, that's like over 10 years before the Hills encounter happens. So, you know, I mean, who we'll we'll never know, will we? We'll never know exactly what was swirling around in these people's subconscious that they might have seen. They claimed that they weren't interested in science fiction and they never saw any of these films. And the other one that I'm sure you've read about is various episodes of The Twilight Zone. Um, there's a famous one that's always referenced that I'm not convinced by, called the Bolero Shield, where this alien um, appears, and 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 critics often say, oh, this is this aired well, it aired two weeks before um, the hypnosis sessions, where Barney starts to describe the creatures as having big eyes and and looking less human. But the creature they're referring to, in the, and if you go back and watch the episode, it just doesn't doesn't cut it for me. I don't he I don't think he has those kind of eyes. He doesn't remind me of the drawings that Barney made at the time. Um, But there are some episodes that were on in in the weeks and months before that point that do have aliens with big eyes and aliens with big bug eyes. I mean, bug-eyed aliens is is a classic 50s sci-fi trope, isn't it?
1: I am am having a look at the uh, Bolero shield there.
0: What do you think? Like, I mean, he has got, to me, he's got normal little human eyes and then he's got like these ridges around them. And in some shots... It maybe looks like he's got big, wide eyes, but I... It's not a good fit for me. He's tall, he's glowing.
1: Yeah, I... I, He looks a bit more like a swamp thing than...
0: The guy most responsible for this idea is a sceptic guy called Kottmire. Martin Kottmire. He's written a lot on this stuff. Some of his work is really, really very interesting. But he tends to say things like, well if that design of creature existed at all anywhere in pop culture then that must have been the source and i just think real life is more messy than that more complicated than that i mean yeah, like yeah. i said who knows what things were swirling around in their in their consciousness you we, we would probably never know
1: no i i mean they i'm, I'm yeah as you are just trying to think like what why would they make up something like that like what, why would they go to that Sort of detail, they'd surely get caught out at some...
0: Well, I, I'm presuming that this happened subconsciously, you know?
1: Yes, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to construct a... I think a, they
0: a I think they were genuine. I think they believed what they believed at the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a, a, a deliberate hoax. Certainly not at first, anyway. So what happened then was they, a book was written called The Interrupted Journey... It's called that because of the missing time element So this missing time Again it's classic season 1 X-Files Stuff isn't it? Missing time
1: Yes um, I just forgot to mention it there When you mentioned the Woman getting uh, Injected in the neck That's also an X-Files Kind of
0: Oh, Is it like with the alien artifacts Or something?
1: Uh, Well it's 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 a method of killing any of the uh, the aliens who are uh, trying to, you know, <clears throat> clone the human race. That they have to be injected into the back of their neck and they turn it into this kind of acid ooze ooze
0: right. <laughs> when they die. Anyway. So the, the missing time, Chris, is odd because, like, when I read about that as a kid, I thought, oh, it must have been like, you know, you blink your eye and suddenly hours have passed and it's really inexplicable when in fact it was more like a week or two later they were talking to some friends and the friends were you know they were telling the story and someone said well what time did you get back and they said oh we got back at 5 a.m and then they said well you should have got back earlier and they were like oh yeah I suppose we should have And, and it's like you know weeks later they thought oh maybe that was a bit strange instead of thinking you know well we were driving in the dark for hours you know and we didn't guess what we didn't make it In as good a time as you normally would, you know, so they were two hours later than they thought the drive would be.
1: Yeah, I I mean, to us over here in Ireland, we kind of think, like, uh, uh, yeah, I'll drive up to Cork. I couldn't possibly drive up to Cork without losing or what what, and and losing two hours. Um,
0: But you know what it's like driving in North America.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now that said, funny enough, I did drive to Cork today, or I did this week, and it took me uh, three and a half hours, but it wasn't because of uh, last time. <laughs> um,
0: <coughs> but you know, when you're on a, when you're in a big country with big, wide roads, and you just you get the white line fever, and you just zone out, and suddenly you realise I've been driving for an hour, and I, I have no conscious memory of anything.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I once drove back from um, where. Where were you?
0: Oh, Muskoka County <laughs> in, in, in Ontario.
1: Muskoka. And uh, I was driving to Montreal and uh, I was, the map said it will take exactly this length of time. And I had kind of plotted it in my head and said, it'd take exactly that length of time. And we were an hour and a half late getting to where we got. And I was really like, pushing the speed limit back. Like, so if somebody turns around to me and said, Oh, that should have taken you yeah, six hours instead of eight hours, then I'd be like, Well, I was just it's just a big, big country and
0: I don't think your first thought would be Oh, definitely Aliens.
1: No, no, absolutely
0: not. So uh, so there's a book in I think nineteen sixty six and that's the Interrupted Journey and then in nineteen seventy five, so a big gap there, there's a made for T V movie starring James Earl Jones, uh, called the UFO Incident Terrible title But I've watched this And it's It's creepy Like It's a low budget 70s made for TV movie So you know Adjust your expectations Accordingly But man James Earl Jones Is a hell of an actor And it It treats oh. the, It treats the subject With deadly seriousness You know You you will accept Within the fiction Of the Version of the story you, You'll accept this You're not you know what, You're not laughing at this Watching it You know
1: now it's a TV movie board flying saucer. <laughs>
0: um and lo and behold, the, the the way the aliens look in this film, they're short, they have big heads, and they have big black eyes.
1: Be interesting to find out the director of that.
0: Yes. Uh, and what his thinking was.
1: It was directed by Richard A. Cola.
0: Now they're, they wear kind of like black suits or uniforms so they're not 100% grey but they're they're damn close they're kind of like 75% grey you know and you've got a lot of the tropes in place now so the hills is one of the most important cases for popularising the concept of abductions there was at least one earlier one in, in 1957 in Brazil with, with you, did you come across the Villas Boas case the guy uh, I
1: did yeah um, the, the guy who just- Very briefly, I I saw a quick video of it online.
0: I suppose he would be chronologically one of the first, but his case, despite being, like, crazy batshit bananas, like, he does the dirty with, like, sexy space babes. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) And, um... uh, But but that story was not well known outside of Brazil, as far as I can tell. As far as I can tell. He did report it to... um, a civilian, another civilian UFO monitoring group in Brazil. So the case was recorded, but it didn't make it big in the English-speaking world for about 10 years after that. So really, in, in America, and in the English-speaking world, it's the Hill's case that kind of sets this trend. So it seems early, 1961, it doesn't really become big until, you know, they don't tell anyone for a couple of years... Um, and then they don't have the, the regression therapy until, like, 1963, 1964. The book comes out in 66, but it's not, it's not a, a hit until a, a bit of it is, is quoted in a magazine. And then there isn't a movie about it for nearly, you know, 10 years. And then, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, well, what happened between 1966 and 1975 in terms of, like, Gray's Grey evolution? Is there any, are there any important cases there are there any pop culture representations? I can't really think of any. Between, like, between when the Kill, when the Hills case happens in 1961, and when this movie version comes out, because like, but 1975 is when the film comes out, and and at that point you're like almost there. The Gray, almost looks like his modern self, and I think that film had a lot to do with it. Like that fit, like Barney's story about what the creatures looked like, morphed over time, and and then the grey appears almost in its final form in the film version
1: yeah I'm, I'm trying to, uh, what I'm doing right now actually since you mentioned it is looking over the uh, not the art director but the uh, the costume designer,
0: oh yeah okay the, that's an interesting take yeah
1: for that movie to see if he's had any other
0: uh, any science fiction would be interesting
1: yeah, any other science fiction? Uh, I mean, he did a six million dollar dollar man.
0: Which, later which on. lest we forget, had an episode with a bionic Bigfoot. So, like, <laughs> the, there, there was some like there was some fringe stuff, some sci- sci-fi stuff in that.
1: Yeah, uh, taking a, a quick look here, and it, there doesn't seem to be any science fictions at all. Uh, in in his back catalogue.
0: Okay. So he, he well, wasn't... we'll move forward a little bit then. Um, yep. I I don't want to overstate the importance of the the Hills case, but it does seem to be it does seem to be pretty central. Um, uh, to me, as far as I can tell, that maybe then one of the next most important ones in 1977, uh, a little unknown director you've probably never heard of him, Mr. Steven Spielberg, um, has a film called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, which has greys in it, basically, and I read that his his um, maybe you can get this on uh, on IMDb if you're if you're surfing on it right now. But um, his director of um, his art director, I believe, went and spoke to actual UFO people and people who had encounters and did a bunch of reading on the literature and decided, yep, greys. That's where it's at. That's what our creature's going to look like based on his research. So by 1977, you know, Hollywood was taking its cues from the supposed real-life stories.
1: Well, when's the last time you've seen Third Encounters?
0: Not since I was a kid. Yeah, it's been a while. I I think That's... I didn't work for me as a kid because it, it's too... It's got this almost like religious thing about it where, like, they're not scary aliens. They're they're there to help but they're in in this kind of like woolly fuzzy new age mystical kind of way which I was not into as a kid I I preferred like Independence Day aliens you know to be honest
1: yeah same here I mean it'd be up there in the same category for me as something like contact whether you like it or not I mean it's
0: more about the well contact for me was more about the story than the the creatures yeah the creatures,
1: you know, which there, there was very little
0: of. As a science fiction fan as a kid, I was more into, you know, I liked the flashy stuff. I liked Star Wars, you know. I wanted cool ships and cool monsters and and the, the aliens from Close Encounters are more like uh, mystical, wise beings. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's way more religious kind of, isn't it? It's like everyone wants there to be some big wise force out in the universe who's going to show us how to do it right, you know. And I've just never been into that so so uh, one of the next road stops on the way to Total Grey I think is the work of Mr Whitley Whit how do you say it? (laughs) Whitley Stryver
1: Whitley Stryver 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 I guess makes more
0: sense Uh, and he was a he was a writer who had written some science fiction he wrote the book of the what came to be the film Wolfen if you've ever seen that a, it's a have heard, heard of walking. Walking. Well you hear more about walking because <laughs> in nineteen eighty seven um he writes a book called Communion. And he doesn't mean communion in the like you go to mass and eat a bit of wafer kind of way. He means uh, it in
1: <laughs> he, he means it in like going to mass and putting LSD on your tongue. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and believing you're you're Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah. I think he means it in a kind of a coming together with your spiritual self, kind of a way. Anyway, he did. You did you read some of this, or did you watch get to watch the film? My
1: task was to to watch it, which I failed uh, completely on.
0: Oh man! Um, if you think signs is is scary,
1: <laughs> I did. I, Ooh. I did. Oh
0: communion! I, did, I, I I did give the the trailer a go and.
1: I read a bit about about the, the movie and the plot. And, man, the trailer was...
0: <laughs> does, does it show that bit where he, he like he's dozing in his house and then he wakes up and he sees the Grey's head poking from behind the door?
1: Uh, the one I saw
0: didn't. Uh, oh. The, you... the one I saw is basically like
1: a um, hyper-close-up of the Grey's oily black eye. Oh, I
0: hate that bit so much. <laughs>
1: it's slowly zooming out but so like it'll zoom out for a second and then it'll show some clips from the movie and then i will zoom out again and then keep on cutting back to the the grey you know but it's it's not really some of the old trailers man they're like trailer making is definitely an art in itself as as you can tell by the difference between, between like modern day trailers and and uh
0: in a, <laughs> yeah. in a world. In a world where Christopher Walker can do whatever he wants.
1: They show him kind of uh, standing outside his that that looked creepy alright. He 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 reminded me of the exorcists uh the exorcist from the Exorcist standing outside his house with his kind of peak
0: cap. Almost yeah.
1: looking a, like a man in black himself. Oh, but... he
0: the way he dresses is so absurd in that whole film. So anyway, what happens is right in the in the book, Strieber or Stryber, whatever. It's funny. This is one of those classic cases of a guy who just happens to write science fiction, you know, like L. Ron Hubbard, Then suddenly, actually, has a real life encounter and writes a book about it. And he's like, No, 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 I'm. It's for real this time, guys. You know, I was just making stuff up before. But no, when I made up when I wrote books about aliens before, that was just made up. But this this is real. So. He has a second home or a cabin or whatever For going on holidays in upstate New York And when he's there He starts getting visited by these creatures That he calls visitors He never calls them aliens He does a proper George Lucas on it And he's like no 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 They're just like you know Multidimensional something or others Yeah. He's just like hedging your bets much mate Just yeah. like he refuses to like say anything about what they are but anyway, it starts out with like really typical kind of abduction type stuff where they they you know float him out of his bed and they appear in his bedroom and he finds himself on a ship and he's being examined and stuff. But then it kind of drifts into new age kind of well actually, you know there are these magical beings who are here to save us and all that sort of thing. And um, and the film is the film is about as crazy as the book I'd say because it tries to convey this mess of, of ideas. I, I will say, when it's scary, it's damn scary. But then it just, it goes absolutely insane. I mean, it's insane anyway, because it's got Christopher Walken in it, so you just can't take any of it seriously. But the, the scary bits are very effective, and it's it's worth watching at least once.
1: Uh, so, I mean, Stryver, I'm just reading here on MDV some of my notes... Uh, he really wasn't happy With Christopher Walken's uh, I suppose Portrayal of him Were you aware of that?
0: I mean nobody could be happy with Christopher Walken's portrayal of, of that guy Like Man but, he's, uh, he's uh, insane uh, hmm? He's just so insane Even before the beings get to him He's like Jack Nicholson in The, in the Shining you know
1: It's <laughs> When Stryber finally told Walken that he might be portraying him as a little too crazy, Walken replied, if the shoe fits.
0: Fantastic. He
1: tries regression in this as well. Yeah, he
0: does. Yeah, That was a big thing in the 80s. There was a guy called Bud Hopkins who was just like regressing everybody all the time. And... <laughs>
1: Sounds
0: like a serial regressor, isn't it? Well, uh, he was. Yeah, I forget what his real job was. He wasn't a hypnotist. He was something else. But he just t- got interested in hypnotism, and he got interested in UFO abduction victims, and uh, a lot of that stuff came from from him. He was big into that. He wrote a lot of books about it, and he again popularized a lot of the core aspects of um, abduction lore in the in the eighties and and on to the nineties. But one of the, one of the most important things about Communion in terms of the evolution of the Grey is of course the cover of the book mm. which is terrifying <laughs> Do you have do you have the informa- the name of the artist Ted Seth Jacobs Right so the, that's the guy who painted the picture on the cover of the book and it's it's an absolutely fantastic and crystal clear image of just a big grey staring at you with his terrifying face and and this is classic standard gray for me that is what they should look like
1: okay well like maybe there's some like you find that image terrifying right
0: because i think just because i have preconceptions about grays like it's not just what they look like it's what they represent it's the fact that i grew up reading books where like grays infiltrate you in your bedroom and they're not they're not they don't talk to you they don't explain what's going on they're not friendly aliens. They're not even bad aliens who can talk to you. They're they just they don't care. They're cold and clammy, and they do their business, and they don't they don't communicate with you. Well,
1: like you you know the um the, those
0: those uh, optical illusions you look at where it's a vase or has two faces, you know. Yeah.
1: Now I'm not saying this is as dramatic as that, but I mean you see that alien as kind of threatening and scary, but I, since I first looked at that uh, maybe two or three weeks back when you mentioned it to me, uh, like, I, I see a, a sort of a, a grinning, smirking face.
0: And I think it's fair to say, like, Stryber intends his beings to be seen as positive. Okay. So, like, he probably intended it that way. But when I see that picture, I'm looking at it through a lens of, you know, the X-Files and... The hill encounter and any number of other influences.
1: I guess the the kind of the brushwork on the the background and stuff is sort of uh, kind of rusty and a bit kind of grimy, like yeah, you might find in a kind of a, an FBI agent's basement, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the bottom of a file somewhere. So
0: yeah, yeah behind it, is is a corkboard with with maps and. <laughs> you know, fits well, a string
1: really sure That's that must be the same image from the cover of the film, but it's uh, but it's sort of just blurred blurred out slightly, so you can't see the pointiness of the chin. Yeah, but fairly sure it's the same one. Yeah,
0: it I just be. this this to me is one of the most clear depictions of a standard grey just, you know, just a few years before the X-Files kicks off, which of course then is the peak grey, you know, that, that's when the paranormal of all kinds is probably at its most mainstream, I would say prior to where we're at now with with um, God, with, with Tom DeLonge and, and flipping A-Tip and finding Bigfoot and all that stuff, you know what I mean? Like, before, before Internet 2.0 and before the the shattering of the monoculture when whatever you're into you can listen to hours and hours and hours of broadcasting about it all the time
1: now does it matter that the alien on the cover isn't actually gray or
0: is it kind of what color is it to you
1: it's sepia
0: yeah yeah it is kind of sepia yeah. i don't i'm not fussy, honestly i'm not fussy about the color like they've been done they've been done there's different versions of them to me that's a standard gray this is future editing key, and I am so so sorry that the obvious Fifty Shades of Grey joke didn't occur to me at this point. And obviously, that should be the name of the episode too. Is that a <laughs> Oh, I never mentioned why uh, where that name comes from. Oh my days. Okay, so wait till you hear this. Right, part of the Hills' story was that, and this is the standard part of abduction lore. After the horrible stuff happens, after you know you're you're violated and they do all this cold uncaring scientific medical stuff to you oh they they quite often will take you on a tour of the ship and you get to meet everybody and you meet the captain and you shake everyone's hand and blah 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 and then you're they're like we we want you to know what's going on uh, and you're like oh cool can i like take something back to prove it nope nope sorry no <coughs> nope. nope. <laughs> there's even a, there's even a, a, in the hill story Betty picks up uh, a, what she calls a star map, right, which is like a depiction of the different stars that they travel between. And she's like, "Can I, can I take this back? What do you think?" And they're like, yeah. the "Captain says, yeah, sure, no bother." Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then later on, he's like, oh, I'm, "You know, actually, gonna have to. I had a chat with the crew there, and you know, I'm gonna have to actually take that back off you, sorry mate." Which obviously is a captainly thing to do, isn't it? Just have your, you know, <laughs> let your subject have. Irreputable proof of your other world and then be talked out of it by your crew. So she was asked to draw the picture of the map, I think, while under hypnosis. I'm not 100% on that. But anyway, she drew what she thought she remembered of the map, right? And this was published in some science magazine, kind of for a bit of a laugh. And a school teacher named Marjorie Fish. Somewhere in the states became obsessed with this and she she presumed that one of the stars there must be the sun right because they they traveled to our planet. So she takes out her star maps for, you know from actual astro- astronomical star maps and she makes three-dimensional models of the Sun and its nearby stars using beads and okay. starts spinning it around and photographing it to see is there any angle, from which it looks a bit like the bunch of dots that Betty Hill drew on a page while she was hallucinating (laughs) under hypnosis. I mean, like, (laughs) even if you were
1: able to, like, just just sort of just split-second memorise something, it's not going to be that accurate, surely, you know?
0: So she came to the conclusion that the, the star system, which it most represented, was... A real a real one called Zeta reticuli. Yeah,
1: I'm looking at it okay.
0: So that's that's where that comes from.
1: southern constellation of reticulum. <laughs> as opposed to rectum.
0: Yeah. Which is where never mind. <laughs> Which is where the aliens also also investigated.
1: <laughs> Zeta rectum. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Uh, any observations then Chris from from your extensive knowledge of the X-Files I only have a cursory one I I remember being scared of the opening music and and a few other bits and pieces but not much more
1: yeah well I mean the the thing I was most scared of was my sister telling me about uh, there's a Sort of a green screen of this guy who's being kind of warped and distorted, and he's slowly getting smaller as if he's falling into the
0: oh, in the opening credits, yeah, I know.
1: this, um, and that was she told me it was a lost soul or something and that just completely freaked me out. Um, I, like again, it, it kind of went back. It, aliens weren't really a scary thing for me when I was younger. It was more souls and, uh ghosts and, and things like that that gave me the, uh, the shudders um, but apart from the lost time there's an awful lot of uh, I, mean, I mean the the major overarching storyline in the X-Files is to do with the greys and uh, I suppose it, it kind of gets a bit muddy in kind of season 7's kinda of season name that
0: that sort of way. Do you um, have any observations about like because to me I, I would say that the X Files appears to be the next kind of cultural heavyweight that appears on the scene and, and deals with the greys. Do you would you have any observations about like what it does with them or does it change the idea of what a grey is or what it represents or are are they are they they're bad, right? They're they're
1: not necessarily in a sort of see the thing about the X-Files right and they they say this about the cigarette smoking man um, you he's always at his most evil when you don't really know what he's up to and and just like the greys they're all so enigmatic a lot of the time to to sort of feed that idea that they, they aren't you don't really know what they're up to a lot of the time you know you get sort of hints here and there um a, a lot of this stuff is to do with the the smaller alien kind of uh, embryos and and i don't know what would you call them baby aliens um, <laughs> they keep them in kind of glass jars and that uh very so often you see and and it, like not really at the start um but maybe kind of as far as I remember, for seasons four and five, you, you start to see a lot more of the actual beings themselves, and um, so they're they sort of hinted at at the start. From from what I recall, you don't really get to see them full on. Um, the the X Files, it, like it's, it's it's such a massive kind of.
0: It's a cultural juggernaut, isn't it? Yeah, just like even to digest it and say, Do you remember the aliens from season three, you're kind of, oh. <laughs> and, well, and yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing about the X-Files, as you probably know, is like so
1: much of their material is based off of sci-fi and, uh, what would you say, stories from, you know, the, the 50s and 60s and even earlier than that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring things to a close with another topic I wanted to mention. So you, earlier on, gave us a take on a potentially psychological explanation for some of this stuff that had happened to you. Uh, I'm going to do another one from a slightly different angle. So with abductions, which I'm starting to think are kind of old-fashioned now, I think this, this peaked in the 80s and the 90s, and it's not... The main plank of UFO ufology anymore, it's 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 morphed and it's changed and it's gone into other places and I'm sure we'll have to do an episode about flipping Blink One Eight Two and the, <laughs> the 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 government's A-tip thing, <clears throat> the Tic Tacs and all that. But for for me, um, a big potential explanation for the whole concept of of the abductions is sleep paralysis. Now, you've come across that before, I bet.
1: Yes, I, I had sleep paralysis an awful lot uh, almost immediately after that that uh, operation that I woke up from um, you'd sometimes be kind of face down in the, the bed and you'd be kind of you wouldn't be able to kind of move you wouldn't really know where you are eventually I sort of learned how to kind of control it and you'd still be kind of kind of stuck in this kind of
0: weird uh, stasis, almost. Yeah. Uh, where you're kind of aware, uh,
1: similar enough, actually, to waking up during that, that operation. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the, well, my understanding of it is is that what's going on is you, you your mind has a, the capacity to shut down your body's movements while you're dreaming to prevent you from acting out your dreams And sometimes this goes. There's a mistake in how this operates. So your body wakes up, but your, uh, or rather, your mind wakes up, but your body doesn't, because this this failsafe is still in operation uh, when it shouldn't be. And it's it's really really horrible, isn't it? It, You wake up and you're frozen and you can't move. And um, I I would say a an abnormally intense amount of panic usually comes. This is more than just oh. I'm in this odd situation I wonder what's going on oh it's much more horrible than that it, you immediately start to freak out and panic and everyone seems, seems to happen to everybody and associated with this perhaps because you're still you still got one foot in like the dream state you're very um, you're subject to hallucinations visual and audio ones as well so people I, t- people I, tend I, to hear things or see things
1: Okay, I never really found the the aural I mean, I, I could never hear anything uh, But I could definitely see Some creepy-ass stuff
0: Well, I, di- I didn't see anything But I had this really intense feeling That there was something in the room with me And I really wanted to turn around To see what it was And, and I know some people get it much more than that Some people really get the feeling That there's beings in the room with them And in, in the past there's been all sorts of folklore associated with this. In some countries they call it the old hag and the folklore states that it's like there's a kind of a witch or a succubus on your on your chest keeping you down and, and you can't get up because of it. Um, but I think if you think about the, the abduction phenomena which like a huge percentage of cases are people on their own in their bedroom feeling that something has come into the room and then starts to do things to them. A lot of that ties in with sleep paralysis, especially because it is very dreamlike, and and when you snap out of it the next morning, it's really hard to remember. And you know, you have only I've only very misty memories of what it was. It happened to me maybe two or three times ever, and um, but it it's, it felt like a very dreamlike thing to me.
1: But you're you're you're, you're almost going to want to turn over or turn the other way because you know that there's something else there, or you think there's something else there. Um, desperate feeling. Uh, I wish, I don't know, Maybe there was a succubus in my bed.
0: But... <laughs> I'm not going oh. to go. Not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only
1: joking. <laughs> um, ha, ha, have you been able to control it in any way?
0: No, no, I couldn't. No, I just had to wait for it to end. It's been a very long time. Been many, many years. Do you know what's worked for me? Um, you know, in Kill Bill, where um, she, uh, Uma Thurman is par- paralyzed and she's like, wiggle your little... Your, your big, big toe, toe. yeah. <laughs> um, that's what I actually started doing while I was getting it. I just focused on,
1: like, my finger or, you know, some other extremity. Um, tried to just just start start moving. And eventually, like... I I'd be able to move in it but I was still dreaming and eventually I would wake up and I'd be able to breathe or whatever, you
0: know. Yeah. Well, I'll bring things to a head then, Chris. Um just to finish up, do you have a do you have a favorite uh, film or T V show, Alien, that is like definitive or important to you?
1: Independence Day was I, I mean the alien yeah. from that they just one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that too. Maybe it was more to do with the fact that it was, you know, summer
1: and you are a kid, and went to see Independence Day five hundred times in the cinema.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as that's like a dumb balls to the wall action movie, I I was scared a bit scared of those aliens too. I that scene like inside the laboratory was yeah. pretty was pretty intense as a kid when they kill the Brent Spiner scientist. Data Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, any other aliens?
0: I also like the aliens from Mars Attacks. We we'll leave it. We we'll leave it at that.
1: Maybe we should tell people that we'll we we'll talk about the X Files.
0: Do you have uh, anything going on that you'd like people to know about, Chris? Any creative projects or uh, any organizations or events that you'd like to you'd like to throw out there?
1: Well, I do, but I'm not allowed to talk about it right now. <laughs> That's uh, not. Bad.
0: That's not a men in black joke, is it?
1: No, 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 it's nothing to do with that. Uh, there's, there's something big coming up, but uh,
0: yeah, I've, I've been sworn to secrecy. Um, yeah, well, if, uh, if anyone was interested in finding out more when the time is right, uh, is there somewhere online people can find you? Yes, you can go to Hipster Joyce
1: on Twitter. That's my Twitter handle, H-I-P. It's Hipster Joyce
0: for for all kinds of dollops of wisdom we we'll leave it at that Chris thanks for talking anything could be there we should probably discuss Files sometime in the, the future I again. think that could be a future episode because we
1: really like I only talked about it for two minutes there but it's it, like it, that was such a tip of the iceberg tip of the iceberg
0: oh such an such an iceberg aye aye an iceberg made of creepy greys <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, we'll, we'll leave it there, Chris. Good man, thanks for talking and keep watching the skies.
1: What's that noise, kid?
0: There's nothing behind me, is there? <laughs> <laughs> been listening to another deep probing episode of Wide Atlantic Weird. As I said at the top, there's a lot more to the story of the Greys than just the cases we got around to mentioning, so I'll put some helpful sources in the show notes so that you too can probe deeper yourself should you be thus inclined. And now, some housekeeping. I've long said that I'd read out any reviews or other contact that we received, and as it happens, I'm rather behind on this. We have had a few reviews and things that I do need to get around to mentioning. So, firstly, Mr. C.K. McNamara writes, Highly recommended. Really enjoy the time and effort that goes into these. As a fan of horror movies and books, every episode is like turning over a new rock to find some hidden story I had not previously heard before. Well, thanks for a nicely worded review, MC. Next, the enigmatically named Lamza writes, A lot of podcasts like this exist, but this one is a little bit more off the beaten track, and therein lies the intrigue. Well, thanks, Lamza. Don't worry, your secret's safe with me. And some time ago, one Felix wrote, Hello there, just finished listening to your UFO episode on the podcast. Fascinating stuff. Read a book that covered some of it, but not in as much detail this week. So it was really interesting to listen to you delving into the cases and exploring the whole evolution of the phenomena in public consciousness. So thanks for that one, Felix. As for everybody else, if you'd like to get in touch, leave a review, or just bitch about us, you can do so on Twitter. After all, bitching is what it's for. You can find us on at Ireland, uh, and if you feel inclined to keep things positive, uh, that's okay too. Not so many people have been doing that on Twitter recently, but we're happy to be some of the proud few who try and keep things civil. If you have any interest in strange phenomena, if anything strange or weird has ever happened to you, we absolutely want to hear about it and we'll be happy to talk about it if you're happy for us to do so. So get in touch on Twitter is the fastest way to do so. Let us know how you're going. And remember, we're ready to believe you, but the evidence has to be good. Keep watching the skies and thanks for listening.